0: Happy Monday morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. I have got uh, my brother from a Pennsylvania mother, I think. Uh, Matt Comment, longtime friend. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Uh, I'm not even sure. How the hell did we meet? Um, I can't even remember, actually. Uh, was it a um, show?
1: Yeah, it was the Sheep Show. I think, man, it's been, let's see, my son's five. And we met a year or two before he was born, so probably six or seven years ago at the Sheep Show.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah. yeah, Just kind of thinking about it last night before I did the podcast, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I met him at the the Sheep Show. And then we've just stayed in, in uh, contact ever since. And you're not a big um, Insta-famous social media dude, but you've done some freaking cool hunts. So I really wanted to get you... On you just came back from a Ibex hunt, correct? It, um, well, I mean, pretty recently, like a month ago?
1: Yeah, I was uh, over there in September um, in Tajikistan.
0: Good Lord, the stands, they're never good. Uh, so how'd that go? Who'd you book the hunt with? And uh, give us the lowdown on that.
1: Um, well, we booked the hunt through Brian Martin. Um, pretty much everybody knows Brian through Asian Mountain Outfitters. And I went with Adam Yonke, um, who uh, runs the Journal of Mountain Hunting, I mean, a pretty cool, um, publication has like an online magazine and put some really nice films out has a podcast beyond the kill. So got to know him probably four or five years at the sheep show, just became buddies and, uh, something we've been talking about for a while doing.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Adam seems like a super cool dude. I don't know him overly well. We've talked on the phone a few times, but, um, I, uh, both good and bad, um, I see his podcast brought up along with mine, so uh, at some point in time I have to get him on here. But so, how'd the hunt go? I know it's a logistical nightmare just getting there, but how'd it go?
1: Honestly, it was awesome. Um, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I've done a lot of hunting, kind of Western U.S., Canada, and that was this was like totally out of my comfort zone. I mean, it was the first time I've been over the big ocean. Um, You know, went through Istanbul, Turkey. You know, there's all kind of. Stuff that you hear about Turkey and Istanbul, its close to Syria. You know, so airport super good. Um the travel, I mean, we were in the car once we got to Dushanbe, which is the capital of Tajikistan, we were in the car for twenty six hours. Um, which if you've hunted and you know about like Marco Polo hunting, it's called the Pamir Highway. It's pretty much the worst road in the world. Um, you know you drive along Afghanistan for probably eight or 10 hours, one way that drive, which is, it's amazing. Um, it's the craziest mountains I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's just sheer vertical rock, but once you get to camp, I mean, the hunting is, is unbelievable. Um, there's no trees, like you don't have to, you know, bust any brush or anything like that. So, if you're a rifle hunter and you can shoot, you know, anywhere from three to 600 yards, it's awesome because there's lots of animals and you don't have to worry. You can spot from a long way, so I highly recommend it to anybody that's kind of got an adventurous side for sure.
0: Yeah, Brian's talked to me about going with the recurve, but it sounds like I have a less than optimistic chance of getting one
1: with a recurve. If anybody that can do it, I think you could. I mean, there's, there's guys that have done it, you know, like uh, I'm sure you know who, like uh, Tom Hoffman, Jack Frost. I mean, those guys did it with a compound, you know, and there's enough rock outcroppings. If you got, you know, where you could hide behind one, I think you could make it happen.
0: Yeah. Probably just take maybe a little bit more like book two weeks instead of one. And that hunt is actually, even for a blue-collar guy, is doable if you plan ahead. Um, from the limited amount I've talked – well, I've talked to Brian all the time. By the way, Brian Martin is the guy I came up with the hang up the phone and put your phone on airplane mode act like you've lost service because that dude could talk peace into the Middle East. But – Oh, yeah.
1: It, a quick call is like minimum of 45 minutes.
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, well, and he's such a wealth of knowledge and funny. It's hard to hang up with him, but – i have had to hang up on him before i've i talked to him once for four hours straight um
1: i I can totally believe it
0: yeah but he um you know the 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 price of the hunt isn't i mean on a like tax title and license um and i know you guys did it you're doing a tv show or a a show with it or a movie or whatever but i mean the hunt you can do um you know 6500 ish 5500 if you look hard enough
1: yeah, he's got some right now um, in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan that if you could leave on short notice, fifty five hundred bucks. I mean, it is the value of it is insane. I mean, you can't even like book an outfitted mule deer hunt, like a decent one for fifty five hundred bucks anymore. And you can go over there and you know hunt at 15,000 feet in some of the most on spine country you've ever seen in your life, and never see another soul. Like you don't have to deal with hunting pressure from other people it's awesome
0: yeah and that i mean it's just cool looking over there so yeah and you know i trying to i mean and you own a construction company is that correct i don't know when i work for um a big home builder gotcha so work for the man just like everybody else what well, one thing you know obviously i'm in a little bit different position now but one thing i do wish i would have done differently rather than living in poverty as a feather on the wind and, and traveling um to do hunts which is cool as well but if if you um kind of break it down monetarily speaking uh you know with the plane flights and everything you're you're at 10 grand for that hunt probably um i think you could honestly
1: it's less than that i think i got my plane ticket round trip now i'm, I'm coming from the east coast so it's a little um less expensive because that's the direction of travel that you're going I think I paid 1400 bucks for my plane ticket round trip to get all the way to Duchamp Bay. And then you have incidentals. I mean, you could probably, if you're getting it for 5500 I think you could get door-to-door. You could be done for 8500 bucks.
0: And, and, you know, you, you break that down. Um, that's doable for a lot of people if they prioritize, uh, you know, if the hunt's important in, in a year. And, I mean, obviously— Not for everyone. I've been there with a single, you know, provider for a family of three plus, um, a Copenhagen issue and, uh, you, but it's not out of the question. And so, you know, it's doable. And, you know, even if it takes two years, I know Brian works with a lot of guys where, you know, and so do a lot of outfitters where you can pay it off in a year or two. And then once it's paid off, you can, you know, get the truck. And so definitely, definitely doable. Um, now, as far as the, can you talk much about the the hunt at all? Is there, or is that a spoiler for the film? Um, I think we could talk about it generally. We'll lay it out there. How good of an animal, the shot, all that type of stuff. If that's too too much in depth, then we'll just not talk about it.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, probably might have to wait on that. I mean, I would say, general speaking, the shot was, um, I mean, Adam and Brian kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, we were both successful, um, and we were able to do it in a relatively quick manner being, um, shooting two animals, kind of very similar at the same time, which is something that they recommended to us. And that's the first time I've actually ever tried to do that. And I can tell you that's way harder than it looks trying to make a, make a call like a one, two, three shoot, um. It's a lot more difficult, and you definitely need to practice that ahead of time if you can. And we did. We did spend a good time shooting, checking the rifles. Um, we got the country because I live at, you know, about 500 feet elevation, and our base camp was at 14,000 feet. So there's a big difference. I mean, you got to reset your guns. You got to check check your dope, um, which we did, and we had some time to do it. We were doing some filming and stuff, and just kind of time got away from us, and a big snowstorm came in, so we kind of had to shut it down for the day. But if you're going to hunt with a buddy um, over there, because Ibex are a pretty spooky animal, um, I would definitely recommend, like, trying to get together and, and practice that because it, it's tough. And I wouldn't um, recommend having the sh- one of the shooters do the call. Like, if you have a cameraman or a spotter, I mean, language barrier is obviously an issue over there. We had a cameraman, um, and what I would have done differently is had Connor actually make the call. Um, and things would have went a little smoother, I think. But both killed two um really mature animals so it should it should end up being a really really uh nice film i think
0: No, that's cool well what um you've you've hunted you shot a, a big stone with uh dustin Rowe as well in a uh, couple years ago didn't you
1: yeah i have um i hunted my stone with dustin and then i hunted a doll sheep uh with the lancasters up at nahani
0: gotcha how'd the how those hunts go I, a lot of people in the know know about dustin Rowe, but as far as insta-famous um you know dustin's lacking a little bit in that meaning he doesn't really get the um you know glory maybe he deserves uh and you know i've never hunted with dustin i just know him from the shows and talking shit back and forth basically but for there's a lot of fight in that little dog i mean i don't think he's more than five six but that dude he's a machine when it, when it, on the mountain from what i understand what was it like uh, hunting with him
1: yeah it's i mean i've hunted with dustin five or six times i mean i met him Man, it's been a lot of years um, since he and I have been friends. Kind of before when he was just, just guiding I me. Mean, I met Dustin probably when he was 21, 22 years old. Um, and I think I was 25, 26, 7, something like that. Um, and just have done a lot of cool... Like I hunted a, my stone. He guided me on my doll. A moose. I hunted grizzly with him. Uh, mountain goat. Black bears. Um, but he he's the type of guy that makes it fun and has, there's, there's no quit in him. So the cool thing for me is like, you know, growing up on the East coast, like I didn't have any expectations when I kind of started backpack hunting. So he's like you, you know what I mean? He puts everything else back and goes. And so that's how I learned. Um, and so like the tough, tougher style hunts is kind of what he helped me understand and how to do. And I had no idea, like there was easier ways to do it, but that's what makes him so successful is, you know, there's no quitting him. Um, and he just has an unbelievable ability to find animals. I've never seen anything like it.
0: Yeah, no, and I've heard, you know, that about him. Um, how big, that stone was um, pretty dang nice. I mean, how, how, what that thing end up scoring? Uh, he made awards.
1: He was uh, right at 164 um, after the 60-day drying period, which, you know, I, I'll probably never hunt another stone sheep. So it's probably, it'll probably be the best animal that, you know, as far as my lifetime goes, I mean, and he'll even tell you to this day, that's probably the hardest stone hunt that he ever did. I mean, we walked, um, 48 miles, I think on that hunt in five days. Yeah, that sucks. So, and, and like, that was the first sheep hunt I ever did. So like,
0: <laughs> I, you know, I just thought that was normal. Oh yeah. <laughs> How much longer did you do the, the doll hunt with the Lancasters?
1: um i think i killed my ram on the sixth day with them that's an amazing i mean you've been up there the northwest territories is absolutely amazing um i shot the 28th legal ram that i looked up
0: yeah oh yeah and you know what nahani has been cut down in size but it still produces what they have left still produces some insane animals of it you hunted it before it got hacked away by by uh you know whatever the I don't know actually actually how that worked other than the government did it, but um, how big was that doll? Uh, right at 160. Yeah, which I didn't know until I got up there hanging out with Clay that um, what a 160 doll actually means. You know, they're not <laughs> they're not the most common thing in the in the world until you start looking at a lot of them and, and learning how to score them. A 160 doll is a, a damn good doll.
1: Yeah, and there was a ram that we. Um, it was actually an older Bruin brand that we saw the second day, um, after we got dropped off that scored, actually, they ended up shooting it, um, later in the year that scored a little bit better. But like, you know, to me, I was like, I'm probably only going to get here once. And I wanted to, I wanted to hunt more. Um, it was funny cause we'd called, uh, Clay on the sat phone. He was like, you guys are crazy. Like, why aren't you, <laughs> He was like, you know, why, why don't you shoot that sheep? And I was like, I didn't want it, you know. I didn't want to be done on the second day. So, and my, my stone, um, was broomed on the one side. So I really wanted to shoot like a tipped out ram, like you see traditionally from the territory. So that's what I just wanted to hunt until we could find the biggest one that we did.
0: Gotcha. What, I mean, we haven't obviously went over that many hunts, but coming from a guy coming from basically sea level, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, not, um, you don't have a lot of training areas when you get back East, um, especially to get ready for the mountains, any like, uh, advice. Cause we get a lot of East coast guys that listen in, uh, getting ready to do not, not just a guided hunt obviously, but also just a regular backpack hunt and do it yourself, uh, type of a deal. You got anything you throw out there to keep them from, um, you know, shorten the learning curve.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody worries about the altitude, um, there's not really a whole lot that you can do with it. Like I see guys use like the training masks and stuff. And to me that really doesn't do anything because it doesn't change the amount of oxygen that you're breathing. You're just restricting. Um, I, I think it does help build lung capacity, but you can do that. I would rather see people do like hill sprints, you know, where you do like a 15 maximum 15 second burst, um, followed by a two to three times rest where you're going, giving it, a full effort. Um, and that'll really help increase your VO two max. I think you guys do some of that out there. Um, I would do that. And one thing, like I hooked up with a trainer that he does a lot of training for guys that are going through selection. And I think, you know, for us, that's probably this, the, the closest thing to what we do. Um, cause you obviously got to carry a pack. Um, so I do a lot of, you know, I go to the gym probably three days a week and then, um, I'd say train outside three days a week. So, But the one thing that i do like if you don't have access to elevation i'm kind of lucky i do i live pretty close to the national park but just doing um box step ups so but you got to get a heart rate monitor and so you load your pack up start with like 20 30 40 pounds maybe even not not use a pack at all and get yourself a, a box or a park bench or whatever get yourself a heart rate monitor and you start with start low like Two rounds of ten minutes with five-minute rest in between, and you want to keep your heart rate between 150 and 160, and you gradually increase that over time um, to a probably two sessions, you know, 35 to 40 minutes separated by a five to 10-minute break, and you would be absolutely amazed um, what that'll do.
0: No, for for sure, and I, I kind of give the same advice when guys ask me. Is and um, I'm learning daily about um the human body which you and i talk about like different injuries and training and everything else it happens we get old man yeah we're getting old um and the one i, I just read a book uh, well i didn't read shit i listened to a book um i'm on my second time around listening to it because it's it's confusing for me but uh it it's you know how they have the primal blueprint diet um mm-hmm. you know and well there's a uh primal endurance book um which i should have told you about before the podcast but it's it's very unique it's two triathletes that are kind of poo-pooing on a lot of the old like the the running game basically like what um like different deficiencies that um athletes have why they fall apart later in life what they could have done differently and one of the things they talked about in, in great depth was the the sprints um, to build up lung capacity um, and how important that is. And then, you know, how, how important it is also to get flatlined before you take back off again, you know, and, and the different intervals you should do and the amount of training and recovery. And it, it definitely made me feel better of how I've kind of changed the way I work out. And, and I'm going to change it even more after you listening to this because it made a lot of sense. And you're suffering from some back injuries now, right?
1: Yeah, I have uh, degenerative disc disease um, in my cervical spine. And it's, it kind of hit me when I was 38. Um, you know, I was in the gym doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And I compressed my spine and it ended up... Um, there's muscles that you have called your levator, which kind of goes from your neck down to your scapula. And that caused my scapula to wing. And I partially tore my supraspinatus, which one is one of your rotator cuff muscles. So the left side of my back wasn't working at all. So I spent a whole year um, retraining that because it wasn't bad enough to have surgery. They essentially have to completely tear my rotator cuff to repair it. So, I said you can rehab it. So, I spent some time doing that um, and then went back to training too much. And that bulge in my disc kind of went from my left side to my right side. And I've kind of spent the last, I don't know, six months rebuilding that. Um, and what it's taught me is I'm not 20 anymore. And exactly what you're talking about, there's, it's better to, I've started using what's called, um, RPE when you're training like, you know, like a lot of people use like 60% of their one rep max or 85% of your one rep max Well what RPE is is essentially it's rate of perceived exertion So it's how you feel Um, and I don't go above You know really an eight or a nine and that's maybe once a month So what that means is like as as far as reps go So um, a nine would be like if you're doing a deadlift like you'd be you'd, you'd pull it and you'd be able to do it once or you'd be able to do it twice, but you only do it once. So you'll leave a rep in a tank, like an RPE of an eight. You would leave two reps in a tank. A seven's like a, you know, you move the weight pretty quick. Um, and what you're trying to do, and I think, is exactly what you're talking about. Is you're trying to increase your efficiency at a certain under a certain load, and you're not putting that additional strain on your body, but you're also getting stronger, faster. Um, and your endurance is going up. Does that kind of s- sound similar to what they're talking but about?
0: Almost identical verbatim. Um, you know, they talked about the one guy took fourth in the Ironman in Hawaii, which is saying something. That that is the best of the best. And he turned 40 and uh, blew his muniscus out walking his dog. No idea why. And started reading about it and athletes reliving the glory days, still training too hard. Um, you know the amount of recovery it would take, and and kind of going by the old school, train through it, keep going, and then he, you know, a month later threw his back out, bending over to eat eggs off the table in a hurry, and he's like, "What in the hell is wrong with me?" And he he they talk about in great depth, like don't don't lift um, to muscle failure, drop lift till muscle failure, drop weight, you know, lift like. You know, when you're lifting, basically lift uh, kind of like what you talked about, like pick a weight and lift that weight until um, you are um, yeah, basically at a not necessarily a muscle failure level, but a, a, a blueprint of, OK, I've lifted this X amount of times. I still feel fairly good. I'm not overly fatigued. Do it again. And you're still building overall strength without breaking down your body. And again, I'm probably misspeaking on some of this because I think I'm going to have to listen to it three times to get it all. It's very detailed. But they also talk about sleep, the diet and nutrition, you know, things like that and how long term, um, you know, there's certain things that for years people thought were um, maybe good for the body um, or good for endurance or, you know, and and as it turns out, it's extremely bad and poor, kind of like the – the five food groups and the 2500 calories a day and that's kind of been shot to shit. Um, they talk a lot about that as well. So it's pretty interesting, especially I mean, how old are you now?
1: I'll be 40 here Christmas day.
0: Yeah, and I'm you know, I'm working on 42 in the next month and I, I get older people than, than than you and I like, "Oh, you're not old yet." Well, I'm I'm not old yet, but I'm not young either and I'm trying yeah, to but get what
1: a- you what you've done to yourself. I mean, it's the same way like I used to train You know, uh, for backpack hunts, I I would always, my goal was always to train with more weight than I was going to hunt with. So, you know, I'd be hiking with 80 pounds, 90 pounds, like, you know, because I wanted to, I wanted that mental break. So when 65 pounds was on my back, it didn't feel that bad. But, you know, I I wish I could go take all that back because there was nothing I was doing for my performance. I was just hurting my body for the long-term effect. And I think you've kind of started to realize some of that, too.
0: Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times I've trained with 80 to 100 pounds uh, on my back and thinking it was the right thing to do and knock on wood, I still don't have major injuries or whatever. But going back to that time to now when I train about the highest I go is 50, but I increase the intensity, meaning. Going like you were talking about sprints uphill. Well, instead of you know sprints obviously I got a pack on and I'm just increasing the um, uh, I'm losing the word the intensity. I'm not increasing the weight on my back I can get the same intensity as far as cardio goes and get some hip burn Maybe going faster up, you know, you take let's say you take a 30 degree slope and I'm doing 30 pounds up that just getting my ass handed to me rather than you take a seven to seven degree slope with 100. Well, seven degree slope with 100 is is doing much more damage to my body and probably not as much cardiovascularly as a 30 degree slope with 35 uh, pounds or, or or whatever. I mean, throw in some numbers. You get the idea. Yeah, man, yeah, you're f-
1: becoming more efficient. The goal is to become
0: more efficient. Oh, and, and, and I'm not by by no means am I, uh, the pinnacle of fitness, but I have definitely found that um, for long-term longevity on the side of the mountain, meaning staying as good on the 10th day as you are on the first day, the heavy weight training just was not needed. You know, I, I don't know what you do, but I do a lot of push-ups and pull-ups and dips and abs and pretty, you know, I'll do one arm like dumbbell snatches, but not super high impact. And it's... It seems to be working for, for me, and I'm hoping. It seems like I'm not beating up my body nearly as much.
1: Yeah, I went and got – Um, you ever heard of uh, FMS testing before?
0: Oh, I would like to say yes and lie, but I don't believe I have, sir. So that's like a functional movement screen. Oh, and I, I would fail for, like, at
1: that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, might, you might surprise yourself. They do it for like the NFL combine and the different stuff. So, you know, it, it's great. Like when you go lift for power, you're recruiting like – so many more muscles than you actually think like for me when my whole side of my back didn't work my deadlift didn't go down that much but my upper trap and you know my chest and a bunch of other stuff took over and started moving the weight well what happens over time when you do that when you load something incorrectly that's when the injuries come and so i couldn't figure out like why I wasn't getting better. I was going to physical therapy and I was doing all this stuff, but I was still continuing to load it incorrectly. So I I went and got tested and they realized that my right hip was um, actually tipped inward and I have scoliosis in my thoracic spine. So that was causing me to lean, which over 20 years, which I didn't know that, kind of helped create that curve in my spine. When I started working on getting my hip, so I had a shoulder problem which was actually created by my hip. And I never knew any of that until I had somebody watch me move. So as long as you're, you know, you hear people talk about like chassis is the term, as long as that is structurally sound, you can lift as much as you want. You can put your body under load. But when some things, everybody has an imbalance, but when you have an imbalance that's like crazy one way, that's when other things start to happen. And by me going, and this has taken like two years to try to figure this out, but it's keeping me from having spine surgery, which is the ultimate goal. And, and, you know, maybe five years down the road, I'll have to have it. And it is what it is. But I'm trying to mitigate that. And by trying to understand what's not functioning correctly in my body and trying to correct that and work on my core strength, um, you know, it's really, really helped me out. So, you know, the, I if it was that guy that you had on that was local. He did a lot of, like, muscle work. Um, yeah, it was M- Matt, that yeah. Long. Yeah. I wonder if he if he does it because he could look at you and say, OK, you need to work on, you know, your right glute or whatever to kind of pull everything together. And that's been super helpful for me.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, you're constantly learning or you should be in, in the, the you know, from <laughs> as I'm getting more beat up or more and more issues or whatever, you know, you you learn like we're talking about now and, and, and diet and nutrition was was one like like. OK, once I cut out like processed carbs and sugars for the most part, had a lot less inflammation um, in the joints, things like that. No soda. And then, you know, I, I kind of went, um, you know, diet wise, step by step, kind of got the hang of that. It obviously helps now. Amy actually cooks all organic. So that's been a huge help. And then it's like, OK, I can get up the I mean, let's let's put something into perspective here. I can get up the mountain uh, with a 45 pound pack on or, or more, you know, as fast as I say anyone, but, you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself and, and I can, can go and I don't, um, what maybe 10 years ago when I was younger, there, there, the the idea of no mountain too high was out the window. There was just certain things I didn't want to do. And, and maybe, you know, even more than that, where now, um, with the training i you know maybe it's mentally or, or whatever i'm like okay i don't care how far we go but then you run into issues like you're talking about where okay well, you know, long-term effect okay what so um my it band okay i had it band issues so i had to reinvent the wheel and figure out why the hell i'm getting it band issues and then You talk about guys like lower back pain. Well, it may not be your lower back. It may be your hamstring or your calf muscles or you get plantar fasciitis and it may not have much to do with your foot. It's probably your calf muscles too tight or your, you know, everything's connected. Dude, that shit, like you said, two years figuring it out, like you'd think at 40, 41, 42 with all the technology we have and the resources, you could figure it out quicker some of it's laziness and some of it's years of piss-poor body maintenance. Um, and well, it,
1: t- it, it takes a lot of work. and it, Yeah, no one to likes to that, stretch. I know that.
0: Exact, I don't. <laughs> it,
1: it takes away from the – nobody wants to go to the gym and work on mobility. And I don't mean like foam rolling or using a crossbow like true mobility where actually like you're moving your body under load and putting it through like shin boxes or shoulder cars or hip cars. Or Nobody wants to do that because it's not fun you know it's like would you rather shoot your bow or you work on mobility like you have to find a balance and, and like you and I like when we started doing this stuff there was there was no information there was no internet we had rocky 5 and arnold schwarzenegger's bodybuilding of an encyclopedia like that's what we had we had nobody to like tell us the right w- right way to do it now we're 40 and we're paying for that
0: yeah daily um and and i only um you know like i i, I you know, you talk about shooting, and I you over and over and over, and you talk about um, uh, you know, okay, I can shoot this, and I've practiced about you know whatever. I can shoot a paper plate with my recurve at forty, and yet you, you never hear about well, you know what? I can um, reach around my back with my right hand and go over the top of my left. No one wants to hear that shit. Like I can touch my toes. It's just not something that's really. Um, Nobody ever talks about how mobile they are. They just want to hear what you can bench or squat. It's just a fact of life when you're brought up. I mean, that was the whole thing back in the day: was what what can you bench? Not as much now, and you end up with a bunch of guys looking like me, where I look like um, a warlock or whatever, hunched over on the edge of the building with my shoulders forward. And I've had to work on now where my my to so I didn't get impingements in my shoulders. Work on my back and my mobility and, and, you know, stretching to, well, again, you could beat someone to death trying to tell them what they need to do to fix it. But if it's something out of the norm or something they just don't like to do, some people just never will fix it. Um,
1: yeah, I, I was the same way. I didn't want to listen um, to what people are telling me until I had to, I was forced to do it because I couldn't, when you, sh- when what you love to do is taken away from you, that's when the light bulb for a lot of people goes off and that's what happened to me. Like when I thought to myself, I'm not gonna be able to backpack hunt anymore and I'm not gonna be able to throw a baseball with my son who just turned five, like there's a problem. Like I need to reevaluate how I'm going about things.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um and uh the long term backpack hunting thing for me is the you know, the big one that kinda
1: yeah you do it for a living man like you you have to
0: yeah well uh, dude, and, and this year on the mule deer hunt that was a good example of you know put in a different position no matter how mentally tough you are there's just certain times maybe your body's gonna you know fail or it'll help you talk your way off the mountain and i i tried okay, to how, you 14 days uh yeah something like that 13 straight 14 and then we came off and then went back in a couple days later
1: i mean that's amazing the the percentage of people that could do that is like 1%. Like I know maybe five people that could do this.
0: Well, you know, and at the risk of, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get, I get bashed no matter what. But when you talk about things like this, a lot of times people perceive them um, how they want to. If it's someone that, you know, is lit. Well, you won't have as many haters because not many people know who you are. But when you, someone listens to things yeah, I don't,
1: like that, that whole hater thing, I don't even understand that and, and why people, Act like that, it's it blows my mind. It,
0: it is what it is. I've just gotten used to it. But when I when you talk about things like this, for me, when I talk about staying on the mountain that long, it's not a bragging thing because really, what it boiled down to is I just couldn't hit shit. So there's not a lot to brag about. But what there is, what good comes out of that is one, I did it. How I did it. What happened in the midst of it. You know, if I could have hit shit. You know, which means go practice more or figure shit out. better when it comes to shooting, you know, but all of it is a learning thing. You know what I mean? Like it's all comes down to okay, what's going to talk you off the mountain? Okay, so let's say you just have a bad week shooting, or you miss some animals, or or whatever. Mentally staying in the game for that for that specific problem, and then there's we had issues finding water. There's there's that issue, you know, and and uh, you know, and Frank. He got it done on day six or eight with, um, with a compound and he's a prime example, very mentally tough, um, to, to a, I mean, to a negative side, really. I mean, he's so tough. He'll probably end up fucking dying on the side of the mountain because he won't.
1: Yeah. He got sick real bad last year, right? He got AMS.
0: Uh, he got pulmonary edema. His lungs filled up with, with liquid. Um, you know, and that's, you know, you can, you can die from that, um, you know to well, where when I, he would, I
1: took plenty of medication in Tajikistan to prevent that. Yeah,
0: well, when you cough, it's like you're spitting out water, you know, your lungs are full full of water, and so again, that's another thing. Am I bragging about Frank that he got that and was tough enough to come out? Well, probably a little, you know, I'm, I'm obviously like that's something to be, you know, no brains, no headache, whatever you want to call it, you know, when you categorize different people that do things like that, but it does give people an idea of what to do when it happens to how to keep it from happening. But also, your mind is a lot stronger than maybe people realize. Obviously, staying fit and nutrition and what we're talking about, preventative maintenance is a big part of staying on the mountain. But all of those things kind of combined are, you know, just to help people and understand. Well, like you, you're talking about degenerative disc disease I guarantee I'm going to get 50 emails and messages about hey what's that guy's name I have the same problem because we're all here to help each other you know well most yeah, of that's us what,
1: like even I don't understand like if people actually took a step back and or maybe went backpacking and I'm sure a lot of people that you know that may, may criticize you have never done that like to understand what you do it's, it's, it's amazing and to be able to share that with other people like when I, remember, I can remember I was heading out um, to hunt mule deer with a friend of mine uh, last year two years. Whenever Frank got sick, I listened to that podcast um, prior to – like I was on the plane. And I did a bunch of things wrong. And I actually started to get signs um, of AMS. And the only reason I knew that is because I listened to the podcast Yeah. From you guys. And it kept me from getting myself in trouble. And so when I went to Tajikistan – I kind of already had some experience of what to look for. So I knew if something went wrong how my body was going to react. So, you know, for people to give you a hard time because you're just trying to put information out there. Like, I just don't, I, I don't get it.
0: Like, dude, it is it, nice, what like, it is. What it here, is.
1: <laughs> I, I, I live in Virginia. You know, like I said, I, I'm not instant. I'm not good at interneting, Um, so like not too many people know who I am and I honestly I don't care, but, you know, it. I'd love to help people from the East Coast, but it just, I just don't understand. Like, if you're nice to people, like you're a good friend of mine. Brian Martin's a good friend of mine. Dustin Rose, a good friend of mine. Paul Kramer's a good friend of mine. Adam Yonke, like all these people in the industry, I've got to know. And you know, I'm just a normal guy, and it's just because I value the information that all these people put out there. Like, if you want to be better, you have to surround yourself by people that are better than you and put your ego aside and listen to what they're saying. Like, you know, when I went to Jujitsu and I called you and said, hey, you know, I need to get a tent. And I went through like three or four different options and, you know, we settled on the NIAC and that thing was great. I could have came in with a preconceived notion, like, oh, this is the one I'm gonna use. And, and, and instead of asking you a question and valuing what you have, asking you a question to argue with you and tell you what my opinion is. Like, does, what does that do? That does nothing.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a weird, man. It's just the industry, which I've, I've kind of just, I mean, it is what it is. And I think that um, the good thing that comes out of all of these is the overwhelming amount of positive stuff that comes through these. And one of the reasons I like to get guys like you on, not just, I mean, nothing wrong with getting a bunch of Insta-famous people on over and over and over. But it's not really something, Franker, I want to do because it's harder for people to relate definitely you want to mix that in but when you got a guy like you that's you know a general contractor or whatever that's going on some of these hunts you're able to put that money away to go talk about some of the issues you've had that's really what i like to hear like i mean as horrible as this sounds i really don't personally want to hear as as much about a hunt maybe where a guy bought a landowner tag that was a ridiculous amount of money or or whatever that's so unattainable for 99.9% of the human population, I don't like to hear those as much as I like to hear where I can relate to, in the case of you, a, a, a guy, a, a blue collar guy saves up, is able to go on these hunts, or a dude that really is broke as a joke and goes out and backpack hunts with horrible gear, gets his ass kicked, but still brings back an animal. I think people learn from that more because they can relate, you know, to that, obviously. And maybe that's a biased opinion because I'm coming from work in construction. But um, I like to hear those stories as much as anything or more and learn from them.
1: Yeah, I totally. I mean, that's like, you know, that's why, like I try to listen to these podcasts or talk to these people because, like, you know, you can't – like, I love to adventure hunt. Like, it, it, as much, you know, getting dropped off by a bush plane, getting, you know, being completely – out of touch with everything is kind of what I'm after. And I live in Virginia. How do you learn how to do that? The only way to learn how to do it is by actually talking and listening to people that do it and probably do it for a living. And they're probably going to help you. Um, You know, going on an outfitted hunt in Canada, like I don't know how to hunt stone sheep. Like I had no idea, you know, so what are you going to do? You have to find somebody that does and you have to be, willing to listen and willing to learn and put your opinions and egos aside and do what they tell you. And that's kind of, you know, really has helped me be successful in my hunting. Like I'll call you and ask you about gear because you test it all. So, you know, I I don't have, and most people don't have that ability. So listen to the people that are willing to provide the information.
0: Yeah. And it's funny you bring that up about listening. Um, I, I just got back from a, a whitetail hunt and, uh, it was cool. I shot a couple bucks. One, you know, was a stud uh, and, you know, I had people asking me questions about whitetail hunting. And I'm like, look, uh, I'm a good listener. Um, I can't say I'm a good whitetail hunter. So don't listen to me. Like, you know, I can tell you if a tree stand sucks or what clothing work. But in general, as far as animal behavior or whitetail characteristics, hanging stands, you know, that's just not me and and the reason i've been successful with whitetail hunting is the people i went with i did what they told me because um, they're obviously the ones that know what they're doing you know and, and that goes um you know a, lo- a long way in the sense of um whether it be you're heading out west um you know to go on a your over over-the-counter elk hunt or you're you know in the case of me going back east or, or the midwest and hunting whitetail I mean, man, my opinion, I mean, the best advice I can give people is listen to the guys getting it done every year. Because, um, you know, obviously, I mean, money aside, you know, you know, if you're paying for high fenced hunt ranch, that's out of, the, you know, out the window. But if you're if you're talking to guys that are consistently dropping, you know, animals, whether it be on public land or leases for whitetail, you know, there's a lot of private lands. So it's a little bit different story. Man, take their advice because don't listen to some Western dude that goes out east every now and then and and drops a whitetail. I mean, maybe some of them, but I'm just I'm not the guy to to give advice for that because I, you know, quite honestly, don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just a a decent enough shot and and try not to move a whole lot. (laughs) And I suck at that.
1: You know what I mean? So you would say, you know. I'm not the right person. Ask so and so. You know what I mean? It's not that you don't want to help somebody. It's like there's somebody better that, that could give the right advice.
0: Yeah, no, and the whitetail hunting game is just so much different than, you know, Western hunting. Um, and, you know, when I say that, meaning obviously don't move, be quiet, you know, all that shit, watch your wind. But, I mean, you're hunting, you know, that one, the one buck I shot, I was by the highway. Um, I mean, I was seeing semi-trucks drive down the road and had multiple bucks around me. And it's just a different um you know different surroundings different element different animal and that's just kind of how it is not everywhere for whitetail but a lot in the midwest where you're going to see farm equipment driving around you there's a good chance and have giant bucks it's totally different but I, I gotta say i'm addicted to whitetail hunting i always have been it'd be tough for me to pick between whitetail and elk if i, if I could always hunt mule deer i'd have a, if i had to choose between the two other than the fact i'd get so fucking fat from hunting whitetail um, it'd be a tough choice. I, I, definitely got a little too whitetail fit in Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, hunting whitetails in the rut, I mean, is one of my, you know, if I could pick, you know, I've kind of narrowed it down to things that I want to do now. It's, it's hunt whitetails in the rut, obviously, cause I grew up doing it. Um, and like my goal is to be able to shoot my bow cause I haven't been able to shoot my bow in, in, in two years is to be able to do that next year. Hunt elk. Um, I love to hunt elk and adventure hunt. And like if I could do those things, you know, one of those a year. That's kind of what my goal is. The rest of my life, I'll be happy. And you know, as my son gets older, you know, get him kind of introduced to it. I mean, he hunts. He's been hunting with me now since he's two and a half. So it's been it's been interesting to see my um, reasons for doing things change as he's gotten older.
0: Oh yeah, I I bet. And I mean, how old is he now? He's five. Gotcha. And I mean, what. Wait, is it a 10 or 12 where you can legally hunt in, like, Virginia, PA area?
1: Well, a lot of states um, now will let you leave it up to the parent if you feel, um, you know, that the child is responsible enough. They have a youth license or a, mentor, a mentorship program where they could either get a license and hunt with you or they can hunt off your license. So there's lots of really good opportunity. And I always used to, you know, wish that I lived out west. Now that I have a son, like, you know, have uh, access to a nice piece of property that has some box blinds on it. And people like, you know, want to talk about like you, hunting in a box blind is that's not hunting. Well, when you have a three-year-old with you, it's, it's kind of hard to put them in the tree stand. So I, I can take a three-year-old hunting where that's kind of hard to do in other places.
0: I like box blinds cause you can put a heater in them. It's harder. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> like, I take, I take an iPad I take a heater. I take toys. We take snacks. We play. I spy like my son has like fake binoculars that he takes like and he wants to go hunting with dad every weekend that we go. Like it's 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 amazing. Like we were Thanksgiving. and He asked my father in law, his grandfather, um, you know, who shot the turkey. And that's what my five year old thinks.
0: Yeah. Well, no, that's that's good. Um, the parenting thing, keeping the kids in the outdoors is is, is huge and, and I think overlooked. Um a lot just especially with the you know being stuck to the cell phone all the time or whatever and um you know get i mean obviously i, I drugged my daughter through everything poor thing but it's made her i think anyway i mean it's made her a better you know person and more enlightened i guess um which you well, it know teaches
1: a yeah. ton of responsibility man a ton
0: oh it does especially you know on the backpack stuff like with her where she's able to load her own pack and able, like we go through the itemized gear list. So she knows what's in there. Uh, she has a choice. Um, you know, and, and it, man, it's true for full grown adults. Like, you know, she wants to bring more food cause she's a snack junkie. And I'm like, well, Hey, you got to pack that shit in, buddy. You want to carry it? You want to suffer on the way in so you can have more food? And she's like, yeah, no, that's fine. And then she's, you know, gets your ass kicked a little bit and then maybe, maybe the choice will be different next time. Maybe it won't, but she's making like cognitive choices. Like she, she knows what's in there and she knows what she's got to do. And, um, it, it definitely, you know, at a young age where I was doing the backpack stuff, I'm glad I've been able to help her with that. And it sounds like obviously with your kid, that's, you know, huge. And I mean, that's, I'm going to have to do like a spot and stock bear hunt with, with Kaylee or the same kind of thing. I really don't want to take her on a backpack hunt, her first hunt, because that's a little bit more of a, it's a little bit harder sell. Um, hey, let's go yeah, starve think, to death, you know? <laughs> I
1: think bear hunting is, like, when people ask me, like, you know, what's a, they want to hunt out west or they want to go to Canada or whatever and they, they want to start with something. I always recommend a spring bear hunt, like always. I think it's a phenomenal way. One, it's not that expensive. Um, you can, you know, there's states where you can do it yourself or you could go on a guided hunt and not pay that much money. But it really gets you a great way to get introduced to hunting at elevation um, and doing that kind of stuff. I think more so than like an elk or a mule deer hunt because typically, you know, as long as you're in the right area, you're gonna see bears.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. for For sure. And I mean, like, I'll probably take her up with Lander to to BC to do one. Um, just get you know the higher bear density and everything else, but. Nice
1: it is that's that's where i went you know when i went bear hunting for the first time that's where i went to around outside the uh, the revelstoke area do you know where that's at
0: yeah yeah i've never hunted in there but i know what you're talking about
1: yeah and it was awesome man you stayed in the cabin and you go out and you hike and hunt it was phenomenal
0: yeah no i, I agree i mean i and i think we're going to do that we tried to do it this year but i think we're new it after she graduates high school um and, and take her up there or whatever just so she's – on I don't know. She's obviously way smarter than me. She's on a bunch of different programs that – she's getting college credits for – while she's in high school. Don't ask me exactly how all that works. I just know I can't help her with her homework. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do that when you and I were in high school. Yeah, yeah, no no kidding. So, well, what what do you think – what are you going to try to plan out for uh, for next year? You got anything in mind?
1: Um, you know, I'd really – kind of the next thing that I'd really like to do is grizzly hunt. Uh, I spent about I went twice in BC um, and unfortunately can't go there anymore and the first time I got just the weather never broke it was in the spring and then I went back in the fall and just didn't see the right bear so um, kind of really like to go up to Alaska and hunt with uh, Lance Kronberger he's got really good success rate and just the way he hunts them um, is something that really intrigues me it's a backpack hunt so it's kind of like uh, sheep hunting with just smaller mountains
0: yeah. Yeah. Randy Cooling, who's a traditional archer, that's who he got his um, bear with, was with uh, with Lance. And it sounds like Clay's went with Lance, you know, um, a couple different times and they take some big bears in that area. And uh, he's obviously Lance is very good at what he does because, I mean, he, they, <laughs> they're very successful with large bears up there.
1: Yeah. Like it's pretty amazing, actually. You know, it's, and, you know, with with the B.C. deal, you know, the it's unfortunate because British Columbia was an awesome place to to really hunt a true mountain grizzly. And what's that saying? All good things come to an end. So if you want to experience it, there's only so many places to go like the pricing to go to the Yukon now and do it is, is crazy.
0: Yeah. 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 And it was affordable in B.C. and I was up there this year and there is a bear problem and it's only going to get worse and i'm sure you probably saw that bear charge with with Brian and i um but yeah i mean we were i mean there's bears we were driving on the little electric bikes on the side of the road and i think they saw 18 uh bears this year during season during black bear season just driving around you know so i'm sure it's only going to get worse and hopefully they change that when the parties change up there
1: yeah, I know, um, uh, Brian, I think Brian called hunted with, uh, Dustin this year and they had, they had issues with bears up there. I mean, in his new area, I mean, and I talked to him, he's like, it, it's just, it's so bad that, you know, unfortunately they can't, they can't hunt him anymore. Cause it's just like you said, I mean, you've been up there there's, and so have I, I mean, there's a ton of grizzlies there. There's a ton.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, but, uh. Man, we're getting close to an hour here, and it's a Monday, and we had a Black Friday sales, so I think I'm in deep crap for the next couple hours digging myself out of a hole. Um, but, man, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on, and I, I don't know if you want to get Insta-famous, but if, um, I guess you could check out Matt's Instagram page. He's got a few photos on there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just Matt comment. Um, you know, if anybody wants uh, some advice on how to start hunting out west or, you know, how to deal with degenerative disc disease or anything, man, just hit me up. Um, it's been nice. I've had, you know, for a few other podcasts that I've been on um, with Adam and I did one with Bo Martonic, which I think, you know, Bo, um, another East Coast mm-hmm. guy, like just, just call hit me up. And if you got any questions, I'm happy to help me. And because there's a lot of mistakes that I made and a lot of money that I spent twice that I'd love to see somebody not go through that
0: yeah well no i appreciate you doing that man and again thanks for coming on and definitely we'll have to get you back on again later in the year kind of go over especially if you end up going on a grizzly hunt and kind of go over how that went yeah anytime man cool cool all right man we'll take it easy see you Aaron. bye-bye